Welcome to the Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor of Investors Chronicle, and Jonathan Moyes, Head of Investment Research at Wealth Club. Bond yields have collapsed, meaning it's even harder for investors to achieve a good income. But Dave, you've been looking at what looks like a good alternative. What is this? Yeah, so we're looking, we're going back to basics. Um, we're looking at the area of equity income, um, well known to some investors, but we're, you know, looking past domestic markets and looking all around the world and just assessing what's on offer. What uh, is the way ahead for income investors in the foreseeable future? Well, in recent years, you've had some rapid dividend growth, which has been very uh, beneficial for income investors. But there are some difficulties ahead. Research, for example, from Janus Henderson, who monitored the kind of outlook for dividends, have been warning late last year that uh, you may now see a slowing in this big spurt of growth that's been happening in the last few years. As with all investments, you need to take a selective approach. And um, as we're stressing in this piece, you need to diversify. Okay, so if you've been selective, which regions offer the best equity income? So to start with the best known one, the UK still uh, looks very attractive. Um, Obviously a very beaten up market in recent years and as prices fall that pushes um, yields up. Um, But we've looked at what funds are uh, offering and on average if you look at the Investment Association's UK equity income sector, the average fund offers something like a 4.5% yield and if you go up to the highest end, um, some funds offer as much as 7%. So is the UK then the best place to allocate to? It is a place to allocate to, but as with any equity investment, you need to be aware of the risks. The UK has some idiosyncratic risks at the minute. You have the uh, age-old issue of dividend concentration risk. That's basically the fact that um, in the UK, particularly in the FTSE 100, you have um, some very dividend-focused companies, some good dividends on offer, But a lot of funds are basically reliant on a small number of companies to pay those dividends. So um, as any rocky conditions come down the roads, you might have a few companies either cut their dividends or slow the rate of growth. Um, Notably last year, you had Vodafone, a big dividend payer in that market, cut their dividend by 40%. So that's a big hit in your income. And one other thing to bear in mind is... um, We always have to return to this issue, Brexit, what that means for sterling. Um, As Brexit progress um, looks to be going smoothly or otherwise, that will move sterling up and down and that will have an effect on different parts of the market. Um, So again, you know, you need to be be aware of the risks and be selective. Okay, so um, on the note being selective, uh, which funds could you consider for UK equity income exposure? You know, who looks set Mm. to uh, manage those many obstacles you cited? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, so there's there's a huge amount of choice uh, in the UK. In the um, equity income sector alone, um, there's something like 90 funds. And there's also some funds outside that sector that also uh, generate yields. Uh, one option, I mean, there are several options we consider, but one option um, is Mangelg UK Income. Um, this is a fund that has done well on various fronts. So it offers um, a yield of around 5%. Um, in terms of uh, capital growth, it's also performed very well in recent years. And I suppose 
A more um, compelling trait is the fact that it's diversified across the market. So if you have those ups and downs of sterling, uh, then the fact that it's exposed to different parts of the market um, should hopefully give you a more even ride. Okay. Now, um, in the piece you wrote uh, in Visits Magazine, Diversify Your Equity Income Around the World, you put a very helpful table, uh, which showed uh, what yields you could get from uh, what regions. And it showed that the UK was high, but it also showed that Asia was actually pretty much Mm. as high as the UK. So is the situation better in Asia? Can you get high yields in Asia without all those risks that you mentioned, like about the UK? Again, uh, you are taking risks for your, for your yields. So like you say, the, um, the average, uh, sort of yield on offer for an income fund in Asia is about 4.6%, slightly above, um, the UK average. And again, if you, if you go for the highest yields, you're looking at something like 7%, but it's not a, you know, an easy win. It's not risk free. Um, so for example, um, Chinese companies have been, um, Facing issues with dividends. Um, if you look at the third quarter of last year, lots and lots of Chinese companies were um, cutting back their dividends. Um, that's partly related to um, economic growth, um, Chinese growth, for example, in particular, coming off a bit. Also, you need to bear in mind the fact that um, the US-China trade war, it might have shown signs of easing, but as you see the ups and downs of that process, um, that could have an effect on uh, Asian equity funds and Asian equity income. Okay, so more risks. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, all right. Well, with that in mind, all right, it's still nice high yields. So um, which Asian equity income funds look like they could manage those risks and still deliver you a nice income? So a really, um, a really interesting example, um, again, not without its risks, um, is uh, Guinness Asian equity income. Um, so this is quite um, distinct from its peers. It's um, invested quite differently to its underlying markets, um, but it's uh, tended to have a very rigorous process, it's tended to deliver quite strong capital returns, and its yield is fairly attractive. It's around 4%. Um, but as always, there's a caveat there. Um, there are risks here, in particular because this fund uh, takes a very concentrated approach. It has just around 36 holdings. So that's basically going to amplify the ups and downs of performance if things go well or go badly. Okay. Now, um, that helpful table you put into this week's (laughs) big theme um, also showed that um, other regions don't have such average high yields as the UK and Asia. So are they worth bothering with? It's always worth uh, considering the different regions um, just to, uh, as we mentioned, diversify your exposure. Um, And also, it's just worth... Even if there's a headline average yield that doesn't look particularly attractive, it's worth looking at funds that are still eking out decent yields. Um, so I'll give you one example of a, a region of fund. Europe, um, not particularly popular among investors from a growth perspective. And if you look at income, um, the average yield from, from a fund focusing on that is um, approaching 4%. So it's, it's a bit lower. Um, but um, if you if you want to diversify, there are still options there. Um, so one example of a fund that's done relatively well is uh, BlackRock European, or sorry, BlackRock Continental European Income. Um, that is uh, run by what's quite a strong European equity team. Um, it gives a yield of around um, three point seven percent, and uh, yeah, they they just have quite a quite a strong process. Um, 
they focus on what's termed as um, above average yields, but below average volatility. So they'll try and give you a bit of a smoother ride. Okay. Now, I mean, all the funds, the regional funds you've suggested, um, sound like great suggestions. But at the end of the day, uh, if you're sitting there at home um, and you are trying to work out how much you should put into each equity region, it's not the easiest thing, is it? Um, And maybe you shouldn't have any money in a risky region at all. So, important question, um, is there an easier way to get global equity income um, that doesn't involve having to work out how much to put where and when <laughs> and if. You know. so, yeah, there is, um, there's always the option of going for um, those funds that do invest across across the world, the global equity income funds, um, which might spare you, as you mentioned, the, the kind of headache of trying to line up a load of different regional funds and balance those allocations. Although obviously you'd have to check whether it's allocations sort of line up with um, your beliefs, you know, where you think good yields are, where you think good growth is, that kind of thing. What would be good global equities funds options? So one option is the Janus Henderson Global Equity Income Fund. First of all, we should acknowledge that um, the performance, at least in terms of the actual uh, return, has been less good than that of its peers in recent times. Um, but that's partly because of its uh, its makeup and its allocation. Um, it tends to allocate less to the US market than um, some other global funds. And that's because the US tends to yield less. But if you stick with it in the longer term, um, it does offer an attractive yield. And um, say the growth element for your portfolio is quite US focused, because that's been the leading market in recent years. Um, this might be a good diversifier in case um, conditions turn. Okay, thank you, Dave. And see this week's big theme in the fun section of the magazine of the website. For its full roundup on the income prospects for different regions and more funds with which to exploit them. Making attractive income or good total returns of your investments is important. But if you don't hold them tax efficiently, you lose many of the gains you've made. Now, for most people, being tax efficient isn't an issue because of a wide range of very generous tax allowances and offer, which include pensions and ISAs. But high earners and high net worth individuals are likely to use up those allowances, so need to find more ways to invest tax efficiently. Jonathan, you specialise in this area, so if you've used up your ISA and pension allowances, what are the other options for tax-efficient investment? If you've used up your ISA and pension allowance, then two options spring to mind. The first might be to use your venture capital trust allowance, and the second would be to use your enterprise investment scheme allowance. I think it's a really important point, actually, because I think most investors would be familiar with using their ISA and pension allowances, and millions of people use these allowances every year. But I'm not so sure that many people realise they also have a venture capital tax allowance. And in fact, last year, only 19,000 people used their VCT allowance. Of those, about 2,500 invested online through Wealth Club. And so I think I think the industry, although it's been going for, say, 25 years for VCTs, I think there's some way to go for the industry to help raise awareness of just what VCTs are. That's a really good point. What is a venture capital trust or VCT for short? How does it help you invest tax efficiently? So a venture capital trust is very similar to an investment trust in that it's 
an investment company and its shares are traded on the stock market. And it's got a specific purpose of backing the UK's small, fast-growing companies that need capital in order to grow. And now because small companies are often thought of as the lifeblood of the UK economy, if you have lots of small, interesting businesses that are growing, that's great for innovation in your economy. Uh, they create lots of high-paying jobs. And so the government are always looking at ways in which they can direct more capital into these small businesses, because that's great for all of us. It's great for the economy. Um, so one of the ways in which they can do this is to help provide some incentives for investors. So if you uh, where to invest in VCTs, the government offer some very generous tax reliefs. So the, the main tax relief for VCTs is the income tax relief. So if you were to invest £10,000 in a venture capital trust, uh, you receive 30% income tax relief. So you'd receive £3,000 back off your income tax bill. And then also any of the gains you do receive within your VCT, whether that's capital gains or dividends, uh, will also be tax-free. Okay, I mean, this sounds really attractive, but are there any terms and conditions attached to getting them? Because obviously with pensions, we also get attractive tax reliefs. There are lots of terms and conditions. There are. I'm, I'm very pleased I'm not here talking about pensions because they can get <laughs> complicated. Yeah. Complicated. With VCTs, though, it's much, much easier. So I've got a much simpler job um, in that every adult in the country who's a UK taxpayer gets an allowance of up to £200,000 that they can invest in VCTs and everyone gets the same rate. So it's 30% income tax relief. So you can you can save up to £60,000 off your income tax bill. Is there anything you've got to do to meet these reliefs? So, so to when you're investing in VCTs, uh, mm. you've got to make sure that you buy new shares. Mm. You can't just go onto your online stockbroker and buy VCT shares in the market. You've got to make sure they're new shares to qualify. And also you've got to hold VCTs for a minimum of five years. You can sell them within five years, but the tax man would be after you to get his initial tax relief back. Okay, so a long-term hold then. It is, yeah. It should be seen as a long-term investment. Okay. Now, you mentioned that VCTs invest in smaller companies. Um, I mean, is there any particular, is it just generally or, you know, what what sort of smaller companies? So there's a whole range of companies that VCTs invest in. The main rules um, on VCTs and the types of companies that qualify or don't qualify, the companies that don't qualify are mainly sort of asset-backed businesses. So you can't invest in farming because that's obviously a large asset there that protects you. Um, you can't invest in things like hotels or renewable assets um, or you know, providing loans to management buyers. It's, it's now got to be investing in small companies that need capital in order to grow. And so they're small growth-focused businesses now which VCTs invest in. Okay, and is there any particular sectors that these companies operate in? So it's a broad range of sectors. Yeah. More and more so now, if you're starting a company, yeah. it's going to have some sort of tech-enabled business model. Um, so you tend to find a skew towards technology businesses, sort of internet platforms, business models that are quite scalable. So some of the names that people might have heard of in that area, I suppose the most popular name mentioned for VCTs is Zoopla. Mm. The VCTs... Um, it's the first £1 billion back yeah. uh, VCT company that did an IPO in 2014 for a billion pound valuation. Or another business might be something like Booking.com, which was an Albion investment. Um, so obviously online hotel booking. Um, so, so typically tech-enabled businesses. Okay. And what would be one or two examples of VCTs that are holding these tech-enabled business? So Octopus Titan would be 
the, the main example, and that was that was a VCT that backed Zoopla. And another one we just mentioned, Albion. Albion have backed a number of um, sort of tech-enabled businesses. Um, one that springs to mind might be a company called Grape Shots. Now, although yeah, there are some household names within VCTs, there are also hundreds of companies that you might never have heard of that only deal with other businesses, and so they sort of fly under the radar. So uh, Grape Shots is an example of that. It, um, it develops some software so that if you want to place adverts on the internet, this software will work out where where's best to, to place your adverts. It'll place your advert next to relevant content. So if you were... Uh, I don't know if you're if you're if you're looking at an article where I don't know your cat might have had fleas. What do you do about this <laughs> or something? <laughs> um, there might yeah. be an advert next to it yeah. saying this is the this is the sort of flea medicine for cats <laughs> or something. Yeah, okay. and that that business actually got bought by Oracle for three hundred and twenty million dollars. So oh. uh, it's ten times return for Albion. So okay, mm, nice nice uh, return. Now these sort of companies and technology are let's say very associated with growth um you know as a you know i think many small companies but you said that vcts pay dividends so how can they generate dividends affect you know kind of income if invested in growth rather than income type investments sure so there are two ways in which vcts generate the cash to pay dividends the first is through income the second is through capital growth so with income so when you buy a VCT, although let's say you invest £10,000 into a VCT, uh, in return you receive shares in that VCT, the VCT will invest your £10,000 into new early stage companies that need capital to achieve their growth ambitions. But you receive exposure to the whole VCT. So you you can inv- you will own some exposure to businesses um, that they've made investments in the past, often sort of 10, 15 years ago, uh, at a time when the rules on VCTs were um, less restrictive. So in previous years, before 2015, VCTs could own things like hotels and renewable assets, and they could provide loans to fund management buyouts. And so all of these assets provide a regular income stream, and many of the established VCTs use that income stream uh, to pay a dividend. And going forwards, though, as I said, they've they've got to make new investments into sort of high-growth small companies. Um, so to pay the dividends moving forwards, they're going to be increasingly reliant on once they've backed a company. If that company goes on to achieve some form of exit on on the sale of that business, the proceeds come back into the VCT, and the VCT can then use those proceeds to pay out a dividend to investors. And then investors can decide um, whether to reinvest that dividend and receive an initial 30% tax relief again. Yeah, I mean, this all sounds good, but maybe it sounds almost too good. You know, growth companies and dividends and tax leaves and whatever. Um, so um, there's always a downside, isn't there? Um, what are the risks potential VCT investors should be aware of before putting money into these vehicles? People should be aware that VCTs are high-risk investments because they're investing in early-stage mm. growth businesses. And uh, unlike with Dave's examples, where he was talking about equity income, uh, investing, which often invests in lots of mature businesses with durable income streams. Smaller companies that need capital to grow uh, can fail more frequently than, than those large companies, such as Vodafone that was mentioned. In view of these risks, who should consider VCTs and who should definitely not consider VCTs? So the, there are two types of investors who can consider investing in VCTs typically, and that's often high net worth investors who have assets 
of more than £250,000 outside of the main residence, or high earners who earn more than £100,000. And now increasingly, um, we are seeing investors who are impacted by the pension changes starting to consider VCTs. As your first question mentioned, um, it's becoming increasingly common for people to fill up their pension allowances. Um, So two types of investors are affected. One is the people who are affected by the lifetime allowance changes. So you can now invest, I think it's £1,055,000 in a pension. Beyond that point, it wouldn't be tax efficient to invest in your pension. So those people, and there are 290,000 of them in the UK at the moment, and only 19,000 investing in VCTs, uh, those people could uh, find it attractive to invest in VCTs if they have the risk tolerance. Um, and the second type are high earners. So if you are an additional rate taxpayer, and uh, amazingly, there are, there are 430,000 uh, additional rate taxpayers in the UK. Um, they are finding that for every £2 they earn over £150,000, they're seeing £1 knocked off their annual pension allowance. So increasingly, they're finding it more tricky to invest in their pension. So if they want to carry on investing tax efficiently, VCTs could be the way to go if they have that high-risk tolerance. We talked about a range of things. I mean, obviously, there's a tax relief, but I suppose the you know the idea of investing in growth companies and everything is attractive. So, I mean, is tax efficiency the only reason to invest in VCTs or should you consider them if you're not needing to invest tax efficiently? Tax efficiency is one of the advantages of using VCTs. However, if you took away all of the tax efficiency and you looked at the total returns achieved by VCTs, and I've just rerun the numbers uh, now that we're in a new decade, if you looked over the previous decade, the top 20 VCTs have produced returns of 144%, um, which in isolation, without any tax relief, that's a pretty attractive return in my view. Um, but of course, if we only go back 10 years, we're starting in at the end of 2009 at the depths of the financial crisis. So most assets will have shown good returns over that time period. If we go back 15 years, um, so we're including the global financial crisis, mm. then total returns have been 160% on average. So so still pretty attractive returns for VCTs, yeah. even without the tax base. But fair to say maybe you could hold something else that generated that within an ISA if you want. You could, you could. So it's a, it's yeah. a point on, I, I yeah, guess, yeah. diversification mm. in that mm. when you, most people who would consider VCTs would have some form of mainstream investment portfolio. Mm. And they might well be investing in lots of equity income-based funds. Um, with VCTs, um, you don't have the same risks. Although it's risky, your risks are more associated with the individual businesses that you're investing in. So, Whereas if Donald Trump tweeted something negative and the markets fell, then mm. your pension and ISA portfolios are probably going to fall. However, it doesn't necessarily affect the early stage businesses that you're investing in. Okay. Now, you also mentioned EIS, or to give them the full name, Enterprise Investment Schemes. What are EIS and um, how do they help you to be tax efficient? So Enterprise Investment Schemes are just another way in which the government aims to incentivise investors to invest in the UK's sort of startup ecosystem, if you like. And so there are two ways to invest in EIS. The first is that you can invest in single companies directly. So you might think of things like crowdfunding. Uh, And the second is to invest in EIS funds. Now, if you're not confident on picking early stage businesses yourself, then EIS funds, you can, very much the same as the equity income funds, you can allocate your capital to a professional fund manager who will then use your capital to to pick um, 
small businesses to invest in. Okay, and um, what are the terms and conditions of EIS uh, for getting their tax reliefs? So, and what are they tax reliefs, actually? So, well, yeah. the, the tax reliefs for mm. EIS funds um, are, are quite varied, actually. So the government, I would say, is almost throwing the kitchen sink at their tax reliefs for EIS funds uh, in that you, you get your initial income tax relief in the same way that with VCTs you get in, initial income tax relief. How much do you get? Of 30%. Okay. Um, but you also get something called loss relief. Mm. Um, so if you lose capital investing in an EIS, you can claim that loss against your income tax bill. So in short, for a for an additional rate taxpayer, if you if you are confident that you can claim both your initial tax relief and your loss relief, then you only have thirty eight and a half percent of your initial investment at risk because the rest of the rest of that number sixty one and a half percent you can claim back off. Uh, of your income tax bill. And then that's not all. You also have, because you're investing directly in companies and you're owning company shares when you invest in the EIS, um, after two years, it's inheritance tax-free. Any capital growth that you do receive is tax-free. And also, you can carry back your tax reliefs into the previous tax year as well. So a range of reliefs for EIS. I mean, that sounds great. Um, do you have to hold them for five years as well to get No, those? so that's different. So with EIS, you um, you have to hold them for uh, a minimum of three years. Okay. So, I mean, are EIS then short-term investments? No, no, no. So you shouldn't make that mistake. You, you could be fortunate in that you back a company and after three years, it can be taken out by arrival. Um, but really for EIS, it's, uh, it's a longer-term investment. And you often don't have too much control over when you can exit those investments. So when you invest directly in a company, it's it's up to the company to then seek an exit at some point. And that's when you get your, your capital back. Okay. I mean, can you explain a bit more about how you, you get an exit? Because um, you obviously have to wait for an unspecified amount of time, perhaps a long time. Um, and um, I guess they're not listed in the stock market like VCTs. You can't call a book and sell shares in them. No, so you, you've, you've almost got to accept that you have no control over when you can exit your EIS investment. So you've got to be committed to investing for the longer term. Uh, the two ways in which uh, you can exit an EIS investment, uh, a, a company might consider some form of trade sale uh, so when you initially invest in the business, they'll often have some some form of route to exit that they'll try and execute. Uh, that might involve, uh, as I said, a trade sale, or they might try and uh, float themselves on the stock market. Okay. Um, and um, you mentioned that these also focus on smaller companies. Are they the same type of smaller companies, VCTs? Are they different types of companies to what VCTs invest in? Uh, so the qualifying criteria for investing in companies in VCTs and EIS are the same. So they invest in similar types of companies. And you'll often find if you're looking at a VCT or an EIS, some of the names might overlap. So they can both back the same types of companies. Okay. Now, um, one of the downsides, as you mentioned, is that you have to put your money in them for a long time and don't really have much idea of necessarily when you get out. Um, what are the other risks of EIS and how do you compare to VCT risks? Um, are they riskier? Um, ah, so the risks with EIS, um, because we're investing in similar types of companies, the initial two risks are similar in that the maturity of the investments you're making, you're investing in early stage businesses, some are, some are more likely to fail. The second is illiquidity. Um, so it's very difficult to sell 
those investments. Um, and the differences in risk between VCTs and EIS largely come down to the structure. So when you invest in a VCT and you invest £10,000, you get shares in that VCT. So you have a share of the whole portfolio, not just the new investments. So you'll often have, if you just invest in one VCT, a broad range of companies that you're invested in, often up to between 30 and 90 companies. With EIS, when you uh, invest in the EIS funds, it's quite a simple structure in that if you invested £10,000, that money would sit on an account. And as and when the EIS fund manager made investments into companies, they would draw down on your capital as they make those investments. So you only receive exposure to the individual companies that the EIS fund manager then invests in. And typically, you'll own between four and 12 individual companies. So those are the risks. To mitigate those risks, there are two things you can do. So just as with a VCT, uh, a VCT wouldn't just invest all of your capital into one company. It would spread spread your risk across sort of 30 to 90 companies. You can do the same. So, And it, it's the same for VCTs and EIS. You don't just have to own one VCT or one EIS fund. You can invest in a range of VCTs and EISs and build up a large portfolio of hundreds of small, fast-growing UK companies, if you wish. And then that sort of that changes the the risk dynamic in a way in that if you consider crowdfunding where you might just invest in one company, that's a very different proposition mm. to being able to build a portfolio of hundreds of, of individual sort of fast-growing businesses. Not put all your eggs in one basket. Exactly, that's the saying. Yeah, that's the saying I was yeah. looking for. Okay. Um, and I suppose research as well is, is yeah. another point. So with EIS fund managers, uh, it might be quite concerning initially to think if you're going to invest in a company you have no control mm. of when those exits happen you can look back at an eis fund manager's track record of investing and their ability to return capital to investors so you can see uh yeah you can look back and say right of your investors who invested in 2012 how much cash have they re- received back as a yeah as a fraction of the hundred pounds you might have initially invested and so you can see a, a track record of of of, uh, of how EIS fund managers have returned capital and over what time period as well. And typically they would say that you're going to be holding these investments for between five and eight years before you start getting your money back. Okay. Now, um, VCGs sound high risk. I have to say that EIS sound super high risk. And they have slightly different tax reliefs to VCGs. So what kind of investors could consider a EIS? And um, what scenarios could they use them in? So for EIS, the types of investors that would invest in EIS are similar to those who would invest in VCT, so high earners, high net worth individuals, and people who are affected by the pension changes. But also, um, because the limits on EIS are much larger, so with VCTs, you can invest £200,000. With EIS, you can invest up to a million pounds in EIS funds and potentially up to £2 million if you're backing what's called knowledge-intensive businesses. So if you are perhaps a company director or an entrepreneur who's just sold a business and you have a large tax bill, just investing in VCTs might not cut it. You might want to use your EIS allowances to to mitigate that tax bill. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. A really helpful explanation of VCTs and EIS and who should consider using them. Also see the money section on the website for more information on how to invest tax efficiently. That brings us to the end of today's show. 
but see this week's Investors Chronicle or the website at investorschronicle.co.uk for more on equity income funds, UK equities and how to diversify your portfolio. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.